welcome to the Hiking Through Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Hiker, long-distance hiking trails. Planning your next multi-day backpacking adventure? Have you been searching the web for information to help you on your trip? Or are you just trying to decide on the trail? Hiker has compiled the world's best multi-day and long-distance hiking trails into one easy-to-use platform. Hiker, that's H-I-I-K-E-R, is a mobile and web application that is designed for hikers by hikers. Yeah, that might sound cliche, but they're a team of hikers dedicated to providing users as much information as possible to discover, plan, and navigate their next backpacking adventure. The app will give you camping and accommodation information, resupply and amenity coordinates, and even some history about the area you're traveling through. And of course, this is all available totally offline to help save your battery life while out on the trail. Download Hiker now for free from your app store, or head to Hiker, that's H-I-I-K-E-R, dot app to discover over 600 trails in the U.S., plus many, many more around the world. Um, it took me a few weeks to have that kind of, oh, I'm going to go start planning the next long distance trail. But it wasn't as I was getting towards Katahdin that I was kind of ready for it. I was still... my mentality around what life could look like had shifted but I wasn't committed to this as a life at that point I was still thinking oh I might go tackle smaller trails in the future but I'm like I should get back to work do all this stuff and when I first got back I was staying at a friend's apartment and when I it was just I had realized Welcome to the Hiking Through Podcast. I'm Erin Egan, and today we're really going to focus on the inspiration and the perspiration. Today's guest is Constantine, known off-trail as Ryan Bunting. He's done quite the trail tour in the last five years. From the big three, he fell in love, and then went on a search for more trail time, casting his pack onto the Oregon Coast Trail, Pinhoti Trail, Ice Age Trail, Pacific Northwest Trail, Arizona Trail, Nachi's Trace Scenic Trail, the Great Divide Trail, Vancouver Island Trail, and finally the Cita Summit Trail. In this episode, we take that grand tour, touching each of the trails in turn, and we talk about ground truthing, following grizzly tracks, and the Vegematic. You can find this episode and all previous episodes at hiking-through.com. You can also find us on Apple Podcast and all the other podcast places. Enjoy my conversation with Constantine. Welcome to the podcast, Ryan. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me. And thank you so much for reaching out. When you listed out your hiking resume, so to speak, it's I can't even, what is it, 10, 11, after this summer, 15 different um, trails? <laughs> I don't think it's 15. I, uh, I think it's 12. I think it's 12 after this summer. But granted, some of them are smaller. Um, but yeah, I mean, the big three took the first three years. And then after that, I realized, oh, I can do these smaller trails and fit multiple in each year. And we had to change plans again this year. But yeah, I think it's 12 now. Okay, so what did you knock off this year? 
so far? So this year I started off because I was still in America back in. So I transferred to Canada um, because my partner lives in Canada and we had been having a lot of problems with the border closure and stuff with that type of stuff. But the original plan this year was I was going to do multiple trails and then I was going to come meet them in Canada. And the GDT was always on our kind of list this year, but it changed this year. I did the Natchez Trace National Scenic Trail. That is about 444 miles and it's almost purely road walk. But I think I was able to set a speed record on that. I'm not positive. Um, I did it in like 14 days. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm bad about the registration thing. But then after that, I did the GDT with my partner. And we were did that in a really kind of really early for the season kind of record snow year. And <laughs> we had record record rain as well, which was super fun. Uh, it led to a lot of interesting experiences. And then after that, we, because we were going to do the PCT, and I think I think you were actually going to do the PCT yes, this year, right? I, I was. <laughs> oh, the good old days. Oh, man. So it, it was funny because the more I kind of was listening to these podcasts and these hiking podcasts, it seems like a lot of people that was on their radar this year. And yeah, I mean, stuff got changed. So we were going to do the PCT after the GDT. But we had both done it northbound, but we both wanted to do it Sobo. Just kind of, there's a special feeling around those big three, and we just kind of missed that. So we wanted to do it Sobo, couldn't. So we were still looking at other trails. And Canada doesn't really have a lot of long-distance hikes within Canada. So there's one out in Ontario, but we were trying to limit interprovincial travel. We were trying to do trails that purely... We could walk into the town, resupply like really low impact, um, no hitches, stuff like that. So we're based out of BC and we found um, the VIT, which just got designated in June 2020. So <laughs> we <laughs> literally just, just in two time. months before. Yeah. So we reached out to their organization because a lot of their maps that they currently had were super not ground truth. Um, they estimated their trail to be about 770k which is about 420 430 miles and it turned out to be 620 <laughs> or 630 miles so okay, that's not even a rounding error and and to no. clarify the vit what you're talking about is the vancouver island trail yeah so they went through also a lot of rebranding uh, they had oh. vancouver island spine trail they had vancouver island trail like they have it has a lot of potential. It still has a lot of work to be done, um, but they're really committed to that type of work. And it's a beautiful trail. It just has a lot, a lot of work. I mean, every single section turned out to be, yeah, 30 miles ish longer than anticipated. And it was just, yeah, it was, it was a journey. So we were able to do that, finished that a few weeks ago. And then I don't know, I was kind of still itching for some, bigger mile days my legs was just really wanted to run something out so i looked into the sea to sky trail which is what that starts in squamish which is a town north of vancouver and that goes to the town of darcy and town is like it's more of um it's tribal land so it's not really a town but that is that's just how it's described but so it goes to darcy and it's about 120 miles one way and i was wanting to go for the yo-yo speed record but i got hit by all of the kind of 
fall, not fall, but all that wildfire stuff that has been crazy. Yeah. So the second day I was on trail, I was just starting to choke on it. And third day, mid third day, I finished up the northbound through part of it. And I called Magpie, my partner. And I'm like, can you come pick me up? I'm not going to be choking on smoke. So I was still able to set the speed record for the northbound part, but not the yo-yo. So a lot of this year was just kind of by the seat of the pants, like planning as you go. It just, this year didn't want me to yo-yo. I wanted to yo-yo the Vancouver Islands. Fine. Did not work. I wanted to yo-yo the Cedar Sky. Did not work. So a lot of different changes. Now from the Sea to Sky, I'm assuming uh, Squamish is at the sea and Darcy is mm-hmm. at the sky. Yeah. What elevation is Darcy? Um, I would have to Google that. I am not positive. No is the town, it's, the town itself is in kind of a valley. So when it starts off the sea, like Squamish, it is at kind of a, you literally start at a harbor and you start climbing um, because you follow the Sea to Sky Highway for a little bit and then it puts you and about five miles to trail system. So it like the way it is, it bounces in between trail and roadwalk a lot of the time because they have a lot of their actual ground signs are better than their web presence, which is funny because like their web presence GPX files were back from 2012 that I grabbed, but it's changed since then. So their sign presence all the way up to the town of Whistler is super, super good. And then from Whistler northbound is about, it's the second half of it is almost purely Sea to Sky um, roadwalk. It's the Sea to Sky road. So about, about half of it is road, but then the other half is like beautiful trail through the mountains of, brings you through the Valley of Squamish, brings you up to the mountains of Whistler. That part is beautiful. And they're working currently on trying to get more of Whistler northbound developed because from Whistler, to the town of Pemberton, you're, you're past Whistler. So you're a little northbound past Whistler when you get back onto the road. And then you get to the town of Pemberton and it puts you back in trail systems for, uh, I don't know, six, seven miles. And then it pops you back out to the road. So they have, once again, more work to do, but the route it brings you through is like really, really beautiful. What are the files or what are you using to, because you're on trails, I mean, and even the GDT or the... Mm-hmm. GD, yeah, GDT is mm-hmm. pretty wild. And particularly if oh. you're talking about in the snow and, and so forth. So what are you using to navigate on these trails? So the GDT, we use Guthook um, okay. because they had an app for that. Guthook, yeah, as everybody knows, Guthook is kind of the go-to. That was, the navigation on the GDT is, it's a lot of dead reckoning. So even though Guthook is there, I mean, I had, two, three day sections on the GDT that you're so remote that you're not even receiving any satellite kind of location services. So a lot of the time you would, within Guthook, you can still uh, study the topo maps. So you would have to do a lot of kind of dead reckoning. And a lot of the time we followed a lot of grizzly bear prints because they knew the right way up the mountain. So we just <laughs> followed their, their prints and it's like, oh, they know the easier way up the mountain. And it's very pass oriented. Like, there were multiple days we would do like three or four passes. So you knew when you were on top of the first or second pass of the day, you would look out into the range and you would look at your topos if your location services wasn't working and you would know what that next pass you needed to go to is. And you would hope that you were finding trail, but it was so snow packed a lot of the time that until you got down past uh, 6,000, 6,500 feet elevation, you wouldn't hit 
trail again. And you would have to do a lot of hoping that eventually you would hit the trail. And we would in times, but there was not a lot of consistency of like, oh, we can open up the pace and do 10 miles of consistent trail because you're, you could be right on trail, but it's just blow down, really, really thick snow. So a lot of the time you were just hoping for the best route, picking the best route. I, I did see the part of your video where you guys were up in the snow and you were following footprints and praising the, whoever whoever that lone person was that had gone before you. Oh, yeah. Oh, man, that made it so much easier. Oh, my God. That that person was a saint, whoever that was. I mean, <laughs> that was tra- that was trail magic. Um, and so on the, the Sea to Sky and Vancouver Island trail, mm-hmm. what were you using? Uh, we were using Gaia sky gps so we wanted to we wanted to so the vancouver island trail they had a lot of gpx on their so they have a website i think it's the vancouver island trail there might be a hyphen in there somewhere but it's like the vancouver island trail association does have a website and they have a lot of gpx files that you can pull from there so we pulled all those gpx files and put them into gaia but I don't know what their most recent update is. When we were on trail, they updated with Kona Gap. Um, Terry, the director of operations, kind of sent us that new file. But as it is, when we went, a lot of those GPX, if you clicked it, it would say, let's see, what was one of those gaps? It would say couching gap. So what that meant was it was their proposed route, but they had not done the work yet to actually follow that GPX line. So it was not truth. And a lot of the time, the GPX line, especially in the Beaufort range coming out of Port Alberni, coming out of there, their GPX line, like we knew this going in, it literally went down cliff faces. And you're like looking at the top of it and you're like, there's, there's no way it goes this way, like at all. And funny enough, one of the guys, um, Harry reached out to us once we got through the Beaufort range and we were taking a Nero in, I think, Cumberland. And he's like, Hey guys, we just went and scouted out the trail at Mount Adrian. Um, don't go up there. It's just cliffs on all sides. We're like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, we kind of figured that, figured that out. So they have a lot of routing to do and, um, they have <laughs> yeah. the base like of what you can pull from, but then you just have to, um, when you're in the section, kind of ground truth it. And we were hoping to get a pure GPX route that we could help the trail association out with. And I'm still in talks with Terry about giving him the bits and pieces I grabbed, but we weren't able to grab every single piece of it because each section being longer, our battery power would keep dying. And then also I thought I was going to yo-yo and sobo it. So I'm like, okay, if I don't get this piece, I'll grab it on the way back. But it took longer than we anticipated. So we have bits and pieces of it, but yeah, Gaia GPS was the route for that as well as the Sea to Sky. When you're doing that and you're essentially as you call it, ground truthing it or, or discovering the the route uh, mm-hmm. on the ground, are you, I mean, you're basically there, you're following then, since there's not a specific trail to follow, really, you're following the lay of the land, you're following potentially animal paths, you're following maybe other trails that are in the area? Yeah, yeah. So it's a kind of like a grab bag of those. So if you just took the VIT, for example, Sometimes their GPX line would be maybe 50 meters away from an actual like beaten in trail that could even be their trail. So like they would have some trail signs up, but their just GPX line was wrong. But then sometimes you would get to a place and it would just be pure bushwhack, like 
nothing at all and you're standing right on top of the gpx line and you can see they have a lot of flagging tape throughout some of these sections but the flagging tape is also very inconsistent (laughs) and it's so thick because it's rainforest type environment that the flagging tape like you'll look and see a piece of orange tape that is their go-to flagging tape but then you'll see in front of you piece of pink tape which is the loggers tape and we followed the pink tape one time like into a gully and it was just not the right way to go but <laughs> it was it's a lot of they're really really putting in the work to get it prepped for i mean like any trail it just needs more foot traffic to beat down the quarters that hikers are going through and more people out there to kind of support and build it with them but it is it's officially designated but it still has a lot of sections that need a lot of work it's basically one of, you know, the PCT or the CDT or whatever back, mm-hmm. you know, however many years ago when it was just starting yeah. out and you need, you need, as you say, people to ground truth it. Yeah. So I've been able to help Terry out with a couple of the ones that especially, Str- 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 Ooh, I'm going to butcher that name, Strathcona Gap area. Um, they did the GPX route from Mount Adrian down into Cumberland. So then Cumberland northbound, um, they want you, and they have trail markers here, which <laughs> blows your mind. So you have to walk this logging road for a little bit out of Cumberland, and then it puts you up into this, I believe it's the Forbidden Plateau. And the Forbidden Plateau is like beautiful, and it's actually a provincial park. But then for you, you to connect to the next peak, you have to walk through the trails of the provincial park up to Jutland and then cut across. And when you cut across, they don't actually put the route where it's safe to go. Once again, you have to bushwhack down and then come across. And then they also have you going, once you get down into a reasonable place where you kind of can hop back on this logging road to connect to the next place, they have you going to the right, which is not right because their trail signs point to the left. So they have trail signs on the ground that point the other way. And so we were following those and it puts you up and over this next peak. And it's really beautiful trail, but for some reason, their GPX route had you go in the complete opposite way. <laughs> so I didn't understand that. Um, but, so a lot of time you would just, you would keep checking your map, kind of know the lay of the land where you're going. And for the most part, they would follow close to their proposed line. So if you weren't directly on trail, you could assume that maybe something might be around you, but if not, you were going to bushwhack. So you kind of knew the general direction you were supposed to go and hopefully you would see a trail. Hopefully you would see a trail sign at some point. So now you saying that you're, you would see, hopefully see a trail sign or the, the flags out there, mm-hmm. which would then say that somebody at some point had gone out there and mm-hmm. put them up, but for whatever reason at that point hadn't necessarily trued up the, the maps themselves. Yeah. Yeah. So with how this trail is oriented, it uses a lot of pre-existing um, connector logging roads. These on Vancouver Island, a lot of, a lot of the industry is logging roads. And there's one section in particular coming out of Cowichan that we know why their GPX is different because they're in talks with the logging company to get an easement through there. So they want to put you on top of this ridgeline, but for the time being, you have to stay on the public logging road that is wrapping around that ridge line. So they use a lot of pre-existing logging roads, and I think they keep on trying to decide what is the best route. 
So once again, with that rebranding, there were a couple intermittent trail sections that we would do and we would see the logo for the Vancouver Island Trail. And then we would also see the logo for the Vancouver Island Spine Trail. And then <laughs> it would have <laughs> it would have a arrow, not arrow, but it would have like, you know how the trail signs are oriented to kind of turn with you. And it would kind of, because it doesn't have any blazes. So it's just trail signs and flagging tape. So it would kind of orient with you and it would kind of push you in the right direction. And a lot of the time you would just, I mean, I hate to say it, a lot of the time you would walk and hope you, you found the next next one. And we, we did because we've both done other trails that you had to do this type of navigation on, especially coming off the GDT. It gave us a lot of, lot of that kind of practice. And we'd been looking for any disturbance of signs of human contact. And it's just, it gave you that sense of being able to dead reckon. So we kind of just kept doing that and following until we kept seeing more flagging tape, more trail signs. And then it says on their website right now, 85% is complete, but I would bring that down to about mm, 60 or 70, 65 maybe. So it sounds like right now, at least the, maybe the more Southern part of it is, is something where you don't necessarily need as much dead reckoning or whatever. It's a little bit more populated. Southern. Yeah. Southern and Northern midsection has, a lot okay. of bushwhacking. Okay, so it's so it's the midsection where you you really probably should have some experience with it before you throw yourself into the adventure of it all. Definitely, because um, southern section from Victoria to Cowichan itself, that that's what got us all gung ho because we were doing like thirty fives and forties those first couple of days because it was gravel bike path and then it would put you into the forest. So that is like really really designated. And then Cowichan to Alberni um, has a lot of travel. So Cowichan Lake is a huge tourist place. So a lot of people go around there, trails beat down well. Port Alberni, once again, there's a Port Alberni Inlet that you follow, really beaten down well. And then from Alberni to Port McNeil is that kind of chunk of the middle section. And that's the most, I think it was, I thought it was the most beautiful because it is these peaks are beautiful and you never assume it's on a little island. And there's just amazing peaks, amazing wilderness, but it is, you're walking the spine. Like it's literally straight up, straight down, straight up, straight down. Like it's, <laughs> you're, you're just bouncing all the time. And the Beaufort range has a lot of old tribal footpaths that they tried to kind of correlate them with. But a lot of these footpaths, you can see where, day hikers or section hikers turned around because all of a sudden it just stops <laughs> and that's where their flagging tape and that's where their flagging tape starts <laughs> so it stops and their flagging tape goes into the thickness we called it so yeah mid <laughs> midsection midsection you should be prepared for miles to take you way longer and also be prepared for just trails to stop and then you have a plan of looking at your maps and being like okay i can get to this next place safely and most likely once you get to that place, if it's not an old logging road with a Vancouver Island Trail sign or it's not a ridge line that you can is alpine, you can find that next piece of flagging tape and kind of reckon the way from there. So you're literally going from flagging tape to flagging tape or flagging tape to sign to flagging tape kind of thing. Y yes. <laughs> so the midsection, you're going from flagging tape to flagging tape to piece of trail for maybe a mile to logging road for maybe a mile, to trail sign that points you back up on a trail that lasts for a mile, to 
peak <laughs> that is kind of alpine and then cliff and then you're looking down and you see flagging tape in the thickness and back down to the thickness you go. So the adventure never ends. It never ends. <laughs> and we we were so, uh, my partner and I, like, I think personally for through hikers, like each year you kind of have a stuck meter. So like, uh-huh. it's like a parabola curve. It's kind of a parabola curve. So like you start off being like, oh yeah, throw anything at me. But then you reach that peak and then it starts going down. And the GDT sucked so much out of it, out of us that like we were just something that should have been like, okay, this is kind of a bummer. Within the first 10 minutes, it was kind of like, oh, this is really sucky right now. So it kind of took away our patience for that, but nothing to do besides keep going. Yeah. At that point, you're sort of committed. You're in it. You're in the thickness. (laughs) Yeah. This is probably a really good time to say that you've, you seem to have a documentarian's heart or uh, a a great desire to uh, spread the word and uh, inform, educate, teach, whatever it is, because you've set up your website and essentially put out your videos of each of these Mm -hmm. hikes which are pretty damn detailed, actually. Yeah, it's, <laughs> that's, that's what, I like how you were saying that they're way too long, but yeah. Um, My gentle way yeah, of saying. Yeah, yeah, they're super, super long. One, I think with these long distance trails, I mean, I know a lot of people aren't going to sit down for two hours, but with these long distance trails, to get a sense of feel for a trail system and kind of like trail life, 10 minutes really doesn't do it. Like people have such random thoughts throughout the day, kind of the interaction between you and your trail family or your hiking partner. It's these types of things like people don't see, they see the beauty in it, but it's kind of not like, Oh, this section also sucks. Or like we talked about food for 10 hours, which literally 10 hours of just fantasizing about food. Or we had a really in-depth conversation about some type of philosophy. It's like, for me, those 10 minute videos, like I could edit it down a crazy amount, but it doesn't really give that full concept of what you're going to get into. Like everybody's different. So they're all going to have different experiences out there. But a lot of the time you're in your head, you're thinking. And for the first three trails, the AT, PCT and CDT, until after the basin, because the basin really pushed me to do this. <laughs> Did the, the basin break you a little bit? It did because I never listened to music or podcasts. Like I kind of thought it was untrue to the trail for some reason. And after the basin of me singing the same song in my head for like six hours, <laughs> a couple of days, I'm like, okay, I need a podcast or a song just to throw in an hour of something. So it's kind of just like you're with your thoughts a lot. And with how long these videos are, I ramble a lot, as you can already tell. And it's just kind of giving people as much information, not only about water sources, turns, kind of confusing places, but also the information about the experience, the thoughts, the community, just like a full package of it. And I don't know, it's just, I guess it's my style. Well, I think that the the shorter ones, the 10 minutes or even up to kind of half an hour type of thing are mm-hmm. there for the, the flyby viewer. You know, somebody who's interested yeah. either in that person or in the subject overall, but it's very much a a, a touch of what it's about. And mm-hmm. your videos are 
for the people who want to do that trail, <laughs> who are who mm-hmm. are serious about wanting to do that trail, because as you said, you know, like you talk about the challenges of of walking it, of being the through hiker and stuff like that. But you also talk about the specific challenges of the trail and hints. And when you get to this point, remember, you want to go this direction versus that direction and, and that type of thing, which I think is helpful for, again, somebody who is very interested in doing that trail, learning more about it. Yes, I, I agree. I agree completely. And so with that in mind... Give me the list of the different trails that you've done that you have these videos on, so so people can send go, can go through the library. Okay, so we'll start we'll start at the beginning. AT audio is going to be absolutely terrible. Um, also, <laughs> the the film style. I was using an old GoPro session. No, it was the one before. It was that little square GoPro. It was the one before GoPro Four, and I was using that. And yeah, audio is absolutely terrible. Um, it wasn't so much as an in-depth guide because I really didn't know this would become such a deep passion for me. It was kind of an experiential guide. Like it showed a lot about my trail family. It did show water sources. So I still had that baseline of filming, but it showed a lot, a lot of personal experiences out on that trail because I thought when I did the AT, it was just going to break up school to work. So I thought I wanted to have one more good adventure and then get back to work. And I quickly realized once I got, got back that, I don't know, it was, it was in my blood <laughs> at that point. So, you were hooked. so yeah, I mean, I was, I think the AT, I say weird in the most loving way as possible, but I think the AT made me super weird. Like I got, I got off that trail super, super weird. Like I stayed with a friend when I got off that trail and, um, a lot of the time you get, I was on there. It took me the longest out of any of the trails. I thought I was going to be there for a while. So it was six months and like six days. But so I was really on the AT. Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought the last one, the Katahdin one. So that was my kind of goal. And that trail, yeah, made me super weird. So I got off the trail and instead of instantly going back to work, I found these jobs in little bits and pieces jobs and then took a month to kind of like I wouldn't take off my America buff like it was it was a bunch of weird stuff but I'm getting distracted so <laughs> no you're you're fine this is this is interesting I mean I know that like uh, most of the people that I that I talk to you know they start out potentially going okay I'm going to do this hike I'm going to do this through hike mm-hmm. and then most of the time it seems that by the time they get to the end of it they're looking for the next fix like they've become a through hiker for life type of thing Oh, I never wanted to step foot on another trail after the AT. <laughs> when I finished that katana, my knees were broken. Well, I mean, there's sometimes there is that adjustment healing period, but yeah. basically, you know, everybody that I've talked to is sort of like, this changed my life, and maybe I'll never do as, as long of a trail again, but I will be back on the trails again. Yeah. I can I can definitely see that. Um, it took me a few weeks to have that kind of oh I'm gonna go start planning the next long distance trail, but it wasn't as I was getting towards Katahdin that I was kind of ready for it. I was still my mentality around what life could look like had shifted, but I wasn't committed to this as a life at that point. I was still thinking oh I might go tackle smaller trails in the future, but I'm like I should get back to work, do all this stuff. 
And when I first got back, I was staying at a friend's apartment. And when I, it was just, I had realized being in back in quote unquote society, like I still loved that and I still did that, but I still craved that connection of trail. And I just, it kind of solidified solidified within those next couple of weeks moving forward of, okay, now I just need to work so I can go do the next trail. And that's kind of what happened. So what was it about the trail that spoke to you? Um, it was a huge, huge part of it is the community. The people around the trail, I mean, you just find, the, I'm biased, but you just find the best people in the world out there. I mean, if they're hikers, if they're trail angels, any person that kind of revolves around a trail tends to be a beautiful person. And the stories that you hear and the just connections you make, it's just a really deep, deep connection that, it's you can find those in regular life and i have friends from childhood that i have these connections with but it's still a different connection that than you have with your trail family or those people that you meet and that's what really drew me back the beauty of the nature also drew me back but i never experienced west hiking so some of the green tunnel of virginia also kind (laughs) of pushed me off but besides that it was i don't know it's a full experience it's a full immersive experience that's not just one part that says hey i have to go back it's like it just brings your mind and body fully into something and i've always been big about throwing myself into something like a full experiential experience and that's kind of what always brings me back what about the at broke you broke me (laughs) um (laughs) besides your knees way (laughs) yes way too heavy of a pack um we'll start off there so i started the first 400 miles in boots kind of I'd done section hikes I did the first 300 miles as section hikes before I did a through hike kind of over the span of two years but so I started off in boots still thinking that was the go-to and I chewed through them in about 400 miles and I wasn't the smartest about gear like I was very I had like a attachment to these boots for some reason because it was my first 400 miles a lot of stuff happened within that 400 miles so I decided to carry them for the next 200 miles, just attached to my pack, <laughs> attached to my pack. <laughs> oh my God. That's brilliant. Yeah, it was, it was not the best, <laughs> but it was just, it was just bobbing around. They would get tangled and stuff. Um, when it rained, they would get super heavy. Yeah, it was, it was fun. So, oh, Did you get comments that, about your boots hanging from your pack? Oh yeah. I would always tell them uh, I was very passionate about my boots because, because they were torn through. I mean, I don't know what it, I did within those four first 400 miles, but like my toes were hanging out of them. It was more open air than actually material. Like it was, they were just torn through. So yeah, I would get comments about why you carrying boots. I'm like, Oh, I just feel very attached. And they went through a lot with me. So I would still keep carrying them. <laughs> so at the point in time when you removed that weight from your pack, did you just leave it somewhere in a trash or whatever or did you send it home to your parents or somebody so i actually sent it to the buddy that i went and stayed with after the trail and it was kind of an ongoing joke that i would send him really stinky gear after that (laughs) so there were multiple times in other trail towns that like if i had burned through a shirt because the at is notoriously like you just the at smells a special smell like you don't get that smell on other trails i don't think but yeah, so if I burned through a shirt, I would send that back to him, and he would always have to unbox it. So yeah, I sent those sent sent, sent those away. Um, they might still be somewhere. I don't 
I, I haven't say, seen them in a while, so. What happened with them? What'd you What'd you do with them? They were apparently very important to you. Yeah, <laughs> I put them in the garage at one point. I never moved them from said garage, so they're either in still said garage, or they're in the trash. One of the two. I do not know. <laughs> I do not know. But now, it's not as material materialistic. Like that was a big thing for me then, but now just having that kind of thought and that moment and that experience i mean that's that's all i need i don't need i don't need the shoes anymore what was it about the shoes that you were hanging on to do you think hmm. um it was pretty brutal the first 400 miles of the at um i was a kind of bodybuilder and i lifted a lot of weight so i had a huge upper body um i was an ex-hockey player like that's where my life was going um before i started getting into hiking I thought I was going to do hockey for the rest of my life. And I had a really bad injury in my knee that I couldn't walk for about eight months at a critical time of when people started going to juniors and getting into college hockey. So that really hurt me. Um, it kind of made me lose part of who I was when I lost that hockey. And not being able to walk for eight months also, you lose a lot of stuff within everyday life. So once I finally could bend my knee again i went through physical therapy that had a terrible doctor they literally gave me no anesthesia and after being in a straight cast for like eight months they literally just said hey this is gonna hurt and just started breaking the scar tissue and just yeah just kept bending the knee and that was excruciating and when i started section hiking there were moments within those section hikes that i would do 10 miles and i had a smaller day 15 miles 20 miles and after that 10 miles my right knee would lock up and it would no longer bend so i would have to do those remaining miles with a straight ramrod straight leg and i would have to like put all my pressure and tiptoe on my left leg to get up or down or anything like that so it was very very excruciating to get to that point and i was still worried about that when i did started the through hike and i started knowing that was a possibility that I could get that locked in the knee again. And I knew that was a possibility. So I would start, I think the first day I did 12, next day, 15. I kept it lower and comfortable to the point that I wanted my muscles to grow with me instead of just destroying them. And once I got to that 400 mile mark, that was kind of the area that I finished my section hikes over the years. And it was just a kind of big moment to know that I didn't have to get off trail because my body broke down because my men mentality was there. I've always loved. Yeah. Like I've always loved throwing myself into something and following the goal through. So I knew my mentality was there. I was just worried about my body. What, if you don't mind uh, sharing, what was the, the injury or whatever to your knee? Was it ACL or patella or. So it was the ACL as well as the M. MCL. I don't know what that word. MCL. Yeah. So what happened was I was a small guy. I'm I'm about five nine, five five ten on a really good day. But I was also <laughs> <laughs> I think I woke up five nine today. Um I didn't get enough miles in yet. So <laughs> five ten on a good day. But I was a small and quick player on the ice. And what happened was I tried to bounce the puck past this defender. So I was gonna bounce it off the boards and come back and get it. So I put all my pressure into my leg like I was going to cut and step out of it. 
So all my weight is in my right leg and the defenders coming down the boards to check me. And instead of hitting me, we had both some weird angles and we had knee to knee contact Ow. and hit, he was, yeah, he was a giant of a man and his knee completely popped my knee right back. Like all my weight was in there and I, I just couldn't move. It was, it was one of the most painful things I've experienced. Yep. Been there. <sighs> okay. Just had a, I had a little minor flashback there. Oh, did you have a really bad injury? Uh, yeah, ACL. ACL, Ooh, minor what, MCL, meniscus, the whole bit. What happened there? Basketball. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but sort yeah, of like what you did. These are fickle things. Oh, yeah. I went up, I came down one-legged and off balance apparently, and boop, that was all it took. How's the hiking been for you since? Um, is it kind of, you have to start off session slow? Does it still flare up? What ends up happening, interestingly, for my knee is I have to very specifically focus on maintaining the strength in the knee or in the quad specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Because even though it's been repaired and this was, God, now 20 years ago, my body still reacts as if there is an injury there. And so my body works to protect it, meaning that if I don't actively strengthen it, my quad muscle diminishes and I start having uh, patella tracking issues because the the medial uh, quad uh, weakens the most. So, um, so that's really what I have to focus on is just keeping the strength up in it. And as long as I do that, I don't seem to have any problems with it. Yeah. It seems like the body has a really good way of building around a weak point. And if the muscles, yeah, they can overtake some of the burden and take that burden out of a place that had been injured. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I had my ACL replaced, so. Oh, Oh, um, that's a uh, that's a completely different story. Um, I am assuming that you did not have your ACL replaced. Uh, I did not. No, okay. um, I I found it just ended up, yeah, healing over time. I hope mm-hmm. I haven't had problems with it in a while, but it just, yeah, I think my body just the muscles around it changed the way they were being fired and used and took over instead of having to put that stress on a place that was already too stressed out. I did the surgical approach. Um, but, but that's why I think that like for me personally, I have to keep the strength up in the quad, uh, to help support the knee. The knee is healed obviously, but it's still body wise, brain wise, whatever looks at it as as an injured part. So. Yeah, I I completely agree. Yeah. Knees, knees aren't fun. I'm I'm hoping they'll, they'll stay with us for a while, but they're, (laughs) they're interesting places. Yeah. Okay, so so you got to 400 miles and you were feeling good that good. your knees were going to last and that your shoes were now worn out. Yeah. So so was it really like for the shoes was it was it about the that they had gotten you to that point? Um I really don't know what it was about those shoes. It just it felt like a big point to me and I really couldn't, I honestly couldn't tell you what it was specifically about those shoes that I wanted to carry them for longer, but I think it was just accumulation of everything to get to that point of not break, not the body breaking down, um, the shoes breaking down. So it might've been a little metaphor in there. I'm not positive. (laughs) I, 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 I do not know for sure. 
How did then the trail build you back up again or build you up again? Oh, so yeah, after I got out off of the boots, um, since I was back, it just, it seemed every single day you were getting stronger out there until, until Maine, Maine broke my knees again. But besides Maine, it seemed every other day was making the mentality around this is an amazing experience and the physical aspect of course is going to come with that. And it just, it's just such a fresh way to live. I mean, you're breathing mountain air the entire time. You don't have to worry about too many things besides water, food, shelter, and hey, when am I going to take the next break to eat and catch up with one of the trail family? So it's just, it just kept building and the love of it kept building. And yeah, by the time I was finishing up the AT, I didn't have any plans to keep going on, but quickly, yeah, quickly, I realized that this was something I really, really was passionate about and kept wanting to follow. So what was the next trail after that? Oh, uh, so after that was the PCT. Okay. And the PCT, I remember doing a lot of research on it. And I actually started that trail with a buddy from real life. And my personal opinion is when you start these long distance trails, if you're worried about meeting a trail family or you're worried about meeting a hiking partner and you're trying to convince somebody from regular life to go, just go out there and start because finding the people that do the right, do the same miles as you, do the same pace, um, you really click with, just talking around camp each night. That is easier than starting with somebody that you are friends with in regular life because we had a very different approach to hiking and hiking styles. And while we're still friends to this day, it's just, it kind of put a little stain on what our relationship was because we got frustrated with each other a lot of if he wanted to spend more time in town and I was ready to get to the next section. So the PCT was the next one. <laughs> I got into a story there, but the PCT was the next one. And that trail was brutal in a different aspect because that was the first West <laughs> West trail. And a lot of that hiking, I love the desert, love the Sierras, love NorCal, love Washington and Oregon. I got fired out from Oregon. Um, we had to flip flop and we had to, we reached out to the PCTA because we still wanted it to be a through hike. And we were asking them for alternatives because this was 2017 of the year of fire and ice, the year of fire and ice. Um, we powered yes. through the ice, but the fire is caught up to us eventually. So yeah. And that was the year that, uh, that Multnomah falls burnt as well. Yeah. It's, it just seems every year since then has just out, out West is, it's it's mm -hmm. sad what's happening all out there right now. I mean, it's 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 every year consistently, but yeah, that was the year of fire and ice for us. And we, by the time in Oregon, because we had we flipped, knowing that that fire season was coming, so we were able to get Washington through, and Oregon, all the fire started. So from there, we ended up reaching out to the PCTA and asked them if we could go do the OCT, and they're like, yeah, go ahead. So we went and became refugees on the OCT. And for the listeners, the OCT is? OCT is the Oregon Coast Trail. Okay. And that is 400 miles that spans from the Columbia River at the top of Oregon down to the Cali-Oregon border. So it's the entire length of Oregon. And yeah, it's about 400 miles. So when we did it in 17, there was no app or any kind of map system besides this book that had day hikes of the Oregon coast trail. <laughs> so, <laughs> so was it even an official trail at that point? 
2017 might have been the first year that they officiated it or the first year that they started seeing a lot of quote-unquote through hikers on it because there are probably people that pieced it together years previous i just don't i'm not positive on that but i'm not i'm also not positive when it got designated might have been a little bit before 2017 but yeah 2017 only a guidebook and the way the author wrote the guidebook she would write the trail that you would follow but then she would the next chapter would be the next trail and not the 20 mile road walk to get to the next trail. <laughs> <laughs> so that was always fun as well um because you're like oh i'm gonna be able to get to this town today and get some ice cream or eat some good food and then you get to the end of the trail and you'd be looking at the map system and the well not map system the guidebook and you would be like huh, I don't see the next trailhead here. And then you would quickly realize that it is 20 miles down the road. So you would have to walk the next 20 miles. So so basically doing the Oregon Coast Trail became your version of doing the PCT through Oregon. Yes. And it still hurts me to this day. I mean, I have to go back. <laughs> I still have to go back and do that. Um, I Yeah, I need to finish that Oregon part. When we reached the PCTA, they said it was an acceptable part of it but my mentality won't let me fully agree with that so i have to go back and do oregon um one day on the pct and yeah that was the pct experience for me oct and pct well if you go back and do the sobo you should be getting through oregon before the fires start so yeah next year we have kind of next year all planned out so this year would have been the perfect year for it, but everybody's plans had to change. So, yeah, it, it's gonna it's gonna be there. We'll we'll get her done. Um, just gotta find the right time for that. So, on the OCT with with that hike, is that on the beaches? Is that trails near beach? Is that and then obviously road walking as well? Um, mm-hmm. What is that made up of? What is that like? Um, yeah, you have a lot of a lot a lot of beach walking and. The beach walk, the beach walking is actually very tough because it is very West Coast beaches where it is very cliff facey that you're scrambling or you're in very, very deep inclined sand. The way the beaches are oriented is you're not having a lot of compact sand to walk. So there was, I would say about, about 40% might have been beach walk and then another 20 to 30 road walk. And then another, that'll bring us up to 70, another 30 of trail systems. So the trail systems would, if you couldn't safely get around a point along the coastline, the trail system might bring you up and over a little kind of bluff area. So it's very reminiscent of kind of the North Coast Trail or kind of coastal hiking in a lot of these Western places. So yeah, it would be, it was a lot of coastal. It was a mix. It was a kind of grab bag. Because that was basically where you finished the hike, right? Yes, we fill in, finished in, where was it? Billings? Billings is not the right name of the town. It was the town, that's a, so we walked and touched the border of the California and Oregon state line. We walked to the state line because that's where the trail officially ends. And then you had to walk about four miles back to the town. And that's where our 2017 hiking season end, ended. Did that feel satisfying yeah kind of (laughs) it's not as momentous as having a monument there and 
yeah, it was so weird seeing the monument um, flip-flopping. At first, we went up to, not Rainy Pass, the pass that's 35 miles south of the border. Um, butchering on the name. But we went to that pass, so we had to walk in 35, touch the monument, and then come back out, and then still had, our plan was all Washington and all Oregon to do. And we got through Washington, and then Oregon got thrown. But it was weird seeing the monument before then. And then also, when you finish the OCT, there's, it's the state line, which that felt cool. I mean, it felt cool to complete a separate trail system while trying to be part of this bigger trail system. But it also just felt off. It, it, I don't, it didn't, it was a very strange feeling. I don't know how to describe the feeling. Which I guess is kind of part of also what's left you with the feeling that you need to go back and you, oh, have, yeah. some finished, you have some business to finish with the PCT. It keeps calling me back. And it's yeah. a beautiful trail. I, I loved every part of it. I mean, it's we called it the super highway. I mean, after these other trails, it's it's just beautiful. I mean, great tread, amazing experiences. I love desert hiking. I love the Sierras. I love Cali. I love I love Washington. I've done more Washington hikes and with the PNT and all of that. And Oregon, I'm gonna get it. <laughs> Oregon is out there <laughs> taunting you. <laughs> it is it keeps on calling me back and i'm close but i whew, we're just gonna have to do it one of these years we're gonna find the time for it yeah so yeah. that was 2017 and then yeah. 2018 was the cdt 2018 was the cdt um kind of felt like the natural progression and yeah i just the cdt was a new one i with those first three years i really didn't want to like with the PCD, I didn't want to go back the next year and do something. I had very experienced a lot of it. Like in the future, I was like, oh, this would be awesome to come back to and do again. But I wanted the next one. So CDT was next. And that trail was by far one of my favorites. I just loved, I love the exposure of, I'm a huge desert fan. Once again, New Mexico has a special place in my heart. I love New Mexico. And then I'd always pictured oh, Colorado. Yeah. And we'll skip over Colorado. So Colorado. <laughs> How can you Ooh, I'm sorry, Colorado? everybody that lives in. Yeah, I'm sorry, everybody that lives in Colorado. I think it's selective amnesia because Colorado hurt me a little bit. Oh no! What did it do? We got to the San Juans super early. Like there was only this was the year. Have you heard of the hiker? Nope. Uh, no, I have not. He got to the Sierras. He was the first person before us, and he got there. And he got caught in a huge snowstorm and it was a lot, a lot of snow for when we got there. We got there May 23rd, so super early for the San Juan. And my thought was, I'm going to cowboy camp all of the CDT because I cowboy camp all of New Mexico. And the first night in the San Juans, I cowboy camped and I woke up literally like a frozen burrito. Everything I owned was frozen. And after that, I quickly changed that I'm not going to cowboy camp here. But then also the San Juans just became epically beautiful, but also a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of snow travel, like post holing. We were waking up at four 30, getting out of camp at five to get through a lot of that compact snow before it kind of melted and got rotten. And it was just post hole parties for w two weeks straight. Which are never fun. <laughs> well, they're, they're fun when you can say post hole party until you annoy the hiking companion you're with. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then and then the party is mostly internal and that party 
becomes a little bit tougher when you're post hole and party buying yourself by yourself. You mean a, a party of one is not so much of a party? <laughs> not so much, no. <laughs> but yeah, so Colorado, I loved Colorado as well. Um, it was just, it was early for when we went through a lot of snow travel. And Colorado on the CDT is just generally brutal. I mean, beautiful, but brutal. It's a lot of ups and downs. You're going to be pushing out a lot of, you're going to be putting in a lot of effort for your miles each day. And yeah, Colorado got us strong. And then we were able to go into Wyoming. And Wyoming, for me, I don't know why I had this image in my head, but I always just pictured tumbleweeds, like nothing else, just pure tumbleweeds. <laughs> but <laughs> Wyoming is still, to my, this day, one of my favorite states. Like, it has so much to offer. And it's kind of like, I think it's starting to get more recognition now, but it felt for me like a hidden gem. It was just, I loved Wyoming. I loved the basin. I, even I thought the ba- Even that, though the basin oh, broke you? Yeah. <laughs> I, lo- I, I think... <laughs> I think I love that type of feeling for some reason. That's probably why I keep going to these harder trails sometimes too. So yeah, loved the basin. Absolutely loved it. And then the Wind River Range, um, we did the mm. Cirque, which is the alternate on there. And that was awesome. And then coming out of, let's see, it was Pinedale. Then you do the Cirque. And then the next town was, you're getting closer out of Wyoming at that point. Yeah, so Wyoming, Wyoming was beautiful. I got a picture of what that next town was, but that was awesome. Getting into Idaho and Montana, never been to either of those states. And also, once again, a great, great experience. Um, Glacier National Park in Montana, Idaho, another hidden gem for me. Kind of really, really beautiful, expansive views and kind of a lot of alpine that you're not expecting. And I really, I just loved it. It felt, parts of Idaho felt reminiscent of a mix between New Mexico and Wyoming with some of that sagebrush and everything, but it was, it was beautiful. I love the CDT. I, I want to do that one again. too. Other than the post hauling uh, in the San Juan, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. what was difficult? What was challenging about the CDT for you? Oh, what else was weather wise? We, we got good weather. So a lot of the weather windows, we weren't getting too hammered by. I had a very, very strong trail family that I was hiking with. I started off with um, baskets, actually. <laughs> and we are, we got lost. We lost each other in the Gila. So that kind of split up. And then we ran. In, I ran into the trail family that I actually completed trail with in Grant. So a lot of support from the trail family, like within a trail family, gives support when other people are down. So that was really good for me the cdt i don't know for sure if i can recollect what was very difficult for me for that because that kind of felt like a big turning point for when i was getting into the groove of miles and hiking and kind of turning this into what i am extremely passionate about so it in my mind at least right now it has a lot of kind of like golden light on it i I love the cdt now what do you mean by that not not what do you mean by that you love the cdt but what do you mean by that it sort of was that turning point for you because at this point now you're six seven thousand miles in yeah (laughs) yeah so the turning point so what that kind of meant in my head is i knew 
I was going to go back to work once I got off the CDT and I had done close to all of the big three. And in my mind, that was a big, big part of it. And it kind of prompted me to ask what is next. And I had been kind of hyper-focused on those big three and I knew there were other trail systems out there, but I wasn't yet sure that I didn't want to just go for the big three and then kind of do smaller trails in a month long here, that month long there, not as full on of a lifestyle. And so as I was finishing the CDT, yeah, I knew I was going to go back to work and save up, but I didn't know what I was saving up for. And so it just, it kind of, there wasn't a defined what next, but I knew within that what next question, this was the type of life that I wanted to continue pursuing. And that was a very clear and like free and feeling for me knowing that this is what I want it to look like. I don't know exactly what that is going to look like, but that kind of prompted me and it was kind of like just going with it. And that was really a beautiful moment for me. So basically that was the turning point for you. I mean, cause everybody talks about the triple crown and, and you sort of lump those three trails together to some extent. And so that was the turning point to get, beyond just the the usual so to speak yeah because even doing those three trails like i never had the idea of like i kept hearing triple crown and all of that stuff but i never had i that idea of oh i want to get that and then it's done it's more of like i wanted to experience each trail for what it was and if i stopped enjoying it along the journey i would just stop hiking like i wouldn't keep doing something that i didn't want to do so i would go out to each trail because it's kind of the natural progression atpct cdt and just experience it for that trail system and as that journey kept growing and getting close to the end of the cdt it was kind of like i just love this life it's not the name of the trail it's not exactly just that place or the triple crown or something like that. It is just this life itself, not the tra- the name of the trail. Okay. Yeah, so that, that was kind of a moment moving forward for me. And then we get to 2019. Ooh, I got a little hectic in 2019. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You, it was sort of a precursor to 2020, actually, but... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so 2019 went a little crazy. <laughs> It's sort of like 2019, you said, I want to do all the things. <laughs> My list just keeps growing. It doesn't yeah. stop growing. Like, as you know, it's just, there's so much out there to experience. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> so where did 2019 start out for you? So 2019, originally, it was going to start out on the AZT and my work schedule didn't align with that. I kept pushing my start date out later and later. And I think it was getting into May and I wanted to still start the AZT. And I'm just like, I can't, I got to keep, I got to finish up work and then I'll find a smaller trail system. These, my, so 2019 started off, my big goal for 2019 was I want to do the PMT. Sounds epic. Sounds like it's a CDT, PCT hybrid, but even like a little bit, bit more intense. So I kind of built around the PMT. So knowing I was going to go do the PMT, I wanted a hike that would get me broken into the miles so i wouldn't just start the P- pnt like without any trail legs or without that kind of trail mentality so i found this little hike called the Pinhoti trail 
I actually had a buddy suggest it to me when I was bumming out about not being able to do the AZT. And he had done about a hundred miles on it. And he said, yeah, it'd be a great breakdown hike. So I'm like, yeah, you know what? Let's go do it. So I ended up going out to do the Pinhoti trail and it was getting closer to when the PMP start date, my start date wanted to be. So while not doing it super fast, I kind of pushed through it pretty quickly. And the Pinhoti trail was also a great trail. It's, it's kind of a baby Appalachian trail. If you're doing a very Southern part of the AT and on flag mountain is where the quote unquote Appalachians start in the South. It's the first one above a thousand feet. And so there's a lot of, Push for that to become the southern terminus of the AT, at least through some very dedicated people that want it to be. Right. <laughs> and and the Pinhoti Trail, you can connect it to Springer Mountain, which I love to do that. And I hadn't been on the AT for a while and kind of bring me back to my roots. So it kind of was the perfect little trail before the PMT. So I was able to go out and do the Pinhoti. So where does the Pinhoti start? It starts at Flag Mountain. Okay. And in Alabama and you're in Alabama about half the time and then you're in Georgia for about half the time and it's 347 miles I believe and it goes from Flag Mountain to Springer so it ends a really weird place um I don't really know how to define where it ends like it's literally just a sign in the middle of the woods like (laughs) northern (laughs) yeah so it just ends that's like the perfect um symbol of <laughs> hiking it's just a sign in the middle of the woods you're done it just says northern yeah it just says northern terminus Pinhoti, and you're like how do i what what do i do now so <laughs> please tell me that you have a video of you at the sign walking around it with the i don't know what do i do now oh so i didn't know what to do now but i do have a video of me walking around the sign <laughs> i had planned on you can connect the end to 70 more miles of hiking to Springer. And I wanted more miles before the PNT, but I, I do have a video of me just wandering around and rambling about, this is a unique (laughs) ending to a trail. (laughs) So yeah, I um, did the Pinhoti and then I did the 70 mile connector to Springer because I just wanted, I wanted more miles before the kind of big thing planned for that year, the PNT. And you feel like the Pinhoti prepared you? at least in terms of like stretching out your legs and getting some miles under your legs and that kind of thing. I do. And I think it successfully checked off all the chase that I needed for that year. It successfully hit that box. I, I walked, it felt like my shorts had fused to my legs a lot of the time because I hit a heat wave coming out of cave Springs, Georgia, I believe. And it was like 110 degrees for like three days. And it was just, it let me sweat out all the, I don't know, nastiness in the body. And yeah, it got me, got me prepared for the PNT. I think it, I think it did its job of, it had enough altitude. It had enough elevation, drops, steep uphills, kind of, there was some road walking into the town of Heflin that you had to go off trail to resupply and came back. So it gave you kind of the just 400 plus miles of preparation for a longer, longer hike. Okay. And then you jumped to the PNT, which is the Pacific Northwest Trail. Yes. Yeah. And then hopped on over to the PNT and the PNT also, I love every trail, but PNT also has a special place in my heart. It is just an amazing trail system. You 
know bushwhacks are going to come up and you expect them and they're not terribly frequent but when they're when they're there they are thick um we went through <laughs> we went through something my partner called the vegematic because it slices it dices it does everything so it was just full thorns for 0.2 which is not a crazy amount of miles but it was 0.2 and it took us like an hour because you couldn't do anything besides try not to get stabbed the least amount of times you could by these by these plants so tnt while it while a lot of people when they think about it they know that bushwhack is there it's not as frequent as people assume um it is just you're going up and over the ridges instead of ridge running a lot of the time so a lot of the beauty is you get across over these mountain ranges and there's a lot of beauty in staying along a mountain range but going from a valley up over a mountain range into that next valley is just always something new and it's i love that experience and you end on the coastline the olympic national national park and that trail it it has a special place in my heart as well (laughs) (laughs) it sort of feels like each new trail that you do ends up with a special place in your heart your heart must be overflowing. At they point. do. They do. It is It is overflowing. But I mean, I don't know any other way to describe it. I mean, it's yeah. just, it's a different type of, because every trail is so different that it's a different type of feeling that you have towards that trail. And it's, it's always something new. And it's, granted, there are parts, it's a long distance trail. There are parts that you're going to have a bad day. You're going to have a few bad days. There's going to be pain in your muscles, pain in your joints. Um, you might just really not feel like hiking that day, but ultimately the overwhelming feeling after each of these trails, you look back and you're like, I really love that. Tra- <laughs> love that trail. So yeah, I, I guess so. The PNT starts on the CDT, right? Yes. So it actually starts at the CDT's um, alternate terminus, which is the Chief Joseph terminus. So you can go to the terminus at goat goat lakes goat haunt goat goat haunt goat lakes i don't know why i'm saying goat haunt <laughs> so you can go to the terminus on the cdt um up at the canadian u.s border which is the traditional way and that's where the gdt starts or you can take an alternate and go to the terminus of the canadian u.s border at chief joseph uh, through through glacier national park and the pnt starts at that alternate terminus which is the chief joseph um terminus and then it goes all the way to Cape Alaba, which is about 1,187 miles, rounded up to 1,200 with all the random bushwhack. It's close. It's close. It's close to 12. So it brings you all the way to the coast of Washington, and you get to go to. But I found out I was super thrilled about it being the westernmost point in the continual U.S. But I found out it was Cape. It was the Cape above Cape Alaba. So I'd been hoping I was going to get to the westernmost point, but it brings you to still an awesome cape. And it covers a lot of very, because you're basically starting in the Rocky Mountains and mm-hmm. you go over the Cascades and then you go mm-hmm. through the, do you take a ferry across the sound? So there is no other way to, what is that town called? Not Plymouth, um, Port. Plymouth. I love it. <laughs> Port Townsend, Port, Port Townsend. Townsend. It's um, the only way to get to Port Townsend is a ferry, and it's about a six-mile ferry. 
So those were the easiest six miles I've ever done. It was it was a beautiful, <laughs> beautiful experience. And you were still on trail, which is even better. You were still on trail. And granted, the pace was a little bit faster than what we did normal, but it felt good. The muscles weren't hurting too much off of that. <laughs> and then you go through the Olympic Peninsula, which is a rainforest. So, Yes. And the, be prepared for the Olympic Peninsula because there is an alternate that you can take and it's a multi-pass alternate and it's an awesome alternate, but you're going straight up, straight down. And we did this alternate with our permit systems and it's the official alternate on gut hooks. I would have to check what it's called again, but it brings you up and over these steep, steep passes and it's amazing, but then it also will connect you to what we call the Bogacelli. It's with a little bit of an Italian accent, the Bogacelli, but it was the Boga, the Bogacil forest it connects you to. And that is straight bushwhack for like 20 miles. And a lot of people choose the Howe River alternate to avoid that, but we wanted to test it out and the flavor it gave us was an experience. <laughs> <laughs> Do you realize, right, that by just saying an experience that really doesn't describe it very much? <laughs> yeah, well, it, you can't describe it unless you're in it. I mean, it is so thick that there's this little hut, like an old shelter system that all of a sudden you've been pushing through Devil's Club and just really thick vegetation for miles and then you just pop out on this old little shelter and there's no way to get to that shelter like it's just all overgrowth and you're like why is this here and then after that you can follow the gut hook line and the gut hook line will keep you because other people have been through there because it's a national park there's been some travel through there but it's not enough consistent travel to get rid of all the brush and it's just it is a bushwhack in the rain <laughs> I, I try to describe it. It's a bushwhack in a rainforest. You're going to get soaking wet. You're going to get shredded. Um, you're going to slip and fall, eat some mud every so often. It's, it's a bushwhack in a rainforest. <laughs> That's a much better description. Uh, thank you. I, I was trying to figure out the, the right way to do it. Um, yeah, you just got to experience it for yourself. Go out and find the Bogacelli. Did, it, did doing the AT first, because... Well, the AT is not in a rainforest. It is awfully wet generally and mm. that kind of thing. Did that prepare you at all for a bushwhack in a rainforest? Oh, it prepared me knowing what wet is because the first three weeks on the AT, we had rain every day. Um, but it's a different type of way. Oh, sorry, not way rain. It's a different type of rain <laughs> when you're bushwhacking because you're not only getting soaked from the moisture that's coming down on you from the sky. You're also getting re-soaked with it with the vegetation. So you're getting like two buckets of water dumped on you like every footstep. So <laughs> while it prepared me, it didn't really prepare me. It was just it's just a different your body's gonna react differently to two buckets of water than one bucket of water <laughs> being dumped on it. And <laughs> and that's what it felt like. When you say two bucks two buckets of water, what I picture in my head is the bucket of water over your head almost like an ice bucket uh -huh. challenge type of thing, but over your head. And then I picture somebody standing beside you and then having a bucket of water coming at you from below as well. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's not two buckets getting poured over your head. Like somebody's throwing water at you while getting it poured over your head. Yep. You have the, that, that is a perfect mental image. <laughs> that describes it. That describes it very well. You then went on to yet another trail 
Oh, and the rain followed me. <laughs> the rain. <laughs> it followed me. Uh, so. so basically you were singing yeah. you love a rainy night? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, me and rain have a special relationship. But yeah, rain, it followed. So what was the trail? Where is that trail? So the next trail, um, the hiking crew that we had, the trail family on the PNT, we all wanted more trails that year. Um, and we wanted to do desert hiking. So we were trying to fill some time until the AZT, the uh, Sobo season would open up. So two of my buddies went home. One of my buddies, she went to Montreal. She went somewhere else. And then I was like, well, I want to, I want to keep hiking. I don't want to do temporarily work for, for a month. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to keep hiking. I went to the ice age trail, which is out in Wisconsin. And that is about 1200 miles. It's 1161, 1162. And the Ice Age Trail, it's a National Scenic Trail. And it has, as of 2019, when I did it, it has a lot of what they like to call connector routes and gut hooks, which if you see a green line, you're road walking. So <laughs> it has a lot, it has a lot of road walks, but, um, I was able to push out a pace on that trail and I was able to do it quickly enough that the AZT was the next trail that we were able to hit that window as well. So you say that the rain followed you. Was that did. <laughs> normal for that time of that season or was that just you being no. lucky? It was just me being extremely lucky. Every single local I would talk to, I'd be like, Hey guys, is this normal? And they're like, no, it's, it's flooding everywhere. This is extremely, extremely un unnormal. It's record rain. And I'm like, that's cool. And then I'll keep, keep walking. <laughs> Put your head down, <laughs> pull your hood up and just keep walking. Yeah. And I don't know what it was about my mentality on that trail, but coming off of the PNT, my body felt really good. So I wanted to see how fast I could do it. And I was able to hold down averaging 35s to 40s a day. And I had a few Nero's in there. I think I had three or four Nero days, but um, I just wanted to experience a different type of hiking. And the IAT was a perfect opportunity for that. So this type of hiking I experienced was I would only stop to grab water and I would try not to take my pack off all day because I love on these other trails, taking a pack off break on top of an epic mountain. But the IAT, I just wanted to see how I, my body would handle it. So I was able to experience a different type of hiking and my body handled it pretty well. It, I still have a lower back little issue from there, but for the most part, it handled it well. So what has evolved to your favorite type of hiking? I'm starting to revolve more around that type of hiking. I still, the type of hiking that quick, if you're doing breaks, they're quicker. So that has become my more preference type of hiking. And when you're trying to do more trails and more miles that is also more in tune with that type of planning right. so it's also i find it very enjoyable to kind of see how far your body can be until it can say hey i definitely need just five minutes off the feet um a lot of or all the lactic acid is building up in the muscles just literally give me a few minutes off of the feet and we'll be good to go again and i really i really enjoy that type of push do you find yourself still having issues with your knee no, surprisingly, the knee has gotten a lot better. Um, I think my legs have just gotten really thick with two C's, like really thick. 
like I'm, I'm not a tall person. So like my muscle just gets concentrated and my quads have been able to take a lot of brunt of that force away from the knee. I can't, I can't remember the last time that it flared up and said, Hey, I need a stop. It's been a long time, which is, I'm really, really happy about. Yeah. That would be, um, sad at this moment. Yes. <laughs> It if, you, would. if it all of a sudden flared up and was like, oh, we got to stop. You're like, but, but. <sighs> yeah, it, it definitely would. But I'm getting to the age that other parts of the body are starting to talk <laughs> to me. So it's all, a, it's all a balance. It's all a balance game. <laughs> oh, yeah. The older you get, the more balance it takes. Oh, man. Yeah. It's just, and I had a buddy on the CDT. I was 23. And I had a buddy on the CDT and he was 25. And. He's like, oh, man. And he's like, oh, man, once you turn 25, your body will recognize it. I'm like, that's not true. There's not an age that defines that. And there is an age that defines that. I found it's 25. <laughs> well, I hate to break this to you, but actually it's 30 and then 40. Oh, no. And then 50. Oh, no. <laughs> it keeps going. It keeps going. <laughs> yeah. Every new yeah. half decade, every new decade is a new experience. It's a, it's a Ooh, new there adventure we go. with your body. And the only way to experience that experience is by going through it, right? Exactly. But it, but it basically <laughs> means, I guess, the if you're into uh, new experiences, so to speak, if you're if you're into uh, rolling with the flow of it, um, it basically yeah. means, you know, like you're talking about, you know, doing different types of hiking and different environments of hiking in. That's sort of what playing with your body becomes because you're oh. constantly. Like, you can't just say, oh, you know, this is my body, this is what it's going to do, and we're good. And you're getting a little mm -hmm. taste of that at 25, but um, but it's going to be constantly it. evolving for you, Ryan. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. I, I've looked forward to it. I, I mean, yeah, the body will figure it out. It, it, it usually does. I hope it doesn't yeah. all of a sudden stop figuring it out, but it usually does. Yeah. No, I'm, <laughs> I, I have a feeling it probably will for you. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I can hope so. So going back, I circling back to the Ice Age Trail. Yeah, you had the rain. It was wet. It was mm -hmm. unusually wet. Oh what, yeah. What is your like biggest memory or, or takeaway from that trail besides the wet? I have one story because I know you like to do this on the podcast. It's kind of the worst moments of yeah. trail. Yeah. One of my one of my worst moments of all my trails was on the IAT, but I can that for later if you want me to um but other other experiences of the iat <laughs> stubbornly i did a 38 mile waterless section section and that was even with all the rain coming down it was very unfortunate because there was a, supposed to be a river that i could fill up in and it was not off of the trail like it was down a cliff like if you were reading the map system it says river but it's not accessible so I did 38 miles without water on the IAT. And by the time I finally got to a water source, I mean, I was lightheaded. Like somehow my body was still moving, but I was just extremely, extremely dehydrated. And it felt like all my muscles were trying to just lock up. And that was a very painful moment for me on the IAT. Was that one of those moments where you're like, okay, that was stupid. We're never doing this again. Well, 
Yeah, I definitely <laughs> was, too. <laughs> you were going to hedge, though. I could hear that. <laughs> yeah. I was looking for a way around it. It was definitely stupid. Um, yeah, trying to push those miles. I was trying to keep as much water weight off my back as possible. And I found that I'm comfortable to hike. I've been able to push 20 miles off of a liter before, and it's just starting to get to that capacity of like, okay, I really need something to drink. But 38 was not comfortable. And it was, I had thought by looking at the map systems that there was going to be water like halfway through that 38 miles. And I could, I could have really, really spent like an hour trying to get to that river and getting that water. And I debated when I was passing it to do that because it, from the map systems, it appeared that there's going to be absolutely nothing for the pat for the next 20 plus miles. So, I should have actually taken that hour and got in the water, but yes, it was extremely stupid, <laughs> extremely stupid and uncomfortable. Yeah. Was that one of the days that was rainy? No. So <laughs> while they had, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know. So while they had record rain in areas, I had, let's see, it took me 37 days and I had about intermittently, I'll ha- I would have about a day or two of no rain. So it wasn't raining every single day, but it was just, when it would rain, it would be consistent rain for multiple days at a time. It would be three or four days of like downpour rain. So that was not one of the days it was raining. Damn. Yeah, unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> and then finally, so like <laughs> we paint a picture of, of your 2019 season. You went from the East Coast to mm-hmm. the West Coast, essentially to the Midwest or upper Midwest Mm -hmm. to the Southwest. Yeah, (laughs) I guess that's how it worked out. (laughs) A lot of traveling. Yeah. I was just trying to piecemeal time windows for trails and Mm -hmm. the PNT being a later season trail, a lot of other opportunities of a good season for some of these other trails was taken away. So it was just piecemealing the best I could. And, I've never experienced the desert in fall, so I was super stoked about the AZT. And so, tell us about the AZT. <laughs> it was, I loved it. I love I love the desert. Desert keeps calling me back. I want to even do a desert hike this upcoming October, and me and a buddy have been planning it. Just don't know yet with the current conditions what that's going to look like. So, I love the desert, and the AZT is almost all desert. Not all desert, because you have... The first two, we did, we went southbound and the first 200 miles, we actually got hit in a cold snap of like single digit weather on the rim of the Grand Canyon. And that was a really, really tough experience because none of us had packed out weather gear to be prepared for that. So it was a lot of shivering in the tent that night. (laughs) But (laughs) as we continued, um, we got to the Grand Canyon and the rangers of the Grand Canyon were extremely friendly because being a national park, their permit system is very tough to get a Grand Canyon permit. So we walked up to the ranger state. Because you end up oh, staying at the at the bottom, right? By Phantom, like Bright, Bright Angel Campground or something? So, we, our, yeah, you can stay at the bottom. Okay. But our goal was to do both, like rim to rim. But okay. one of our hiking, hiking partners had plantar fasciitis while we oh. got to that rim. And he's just like, I can't do it, guys. So we wanted to be respectful and we loved hiking together. So we're like, we're going to stay, stay together. This is how we planned our hike. Because everybody on that hike was our PNT trail family. And we got back together down in Arizona. So 
We're like, okay, man, we'll go try to camp at the bar- bottom. And so we walked to the ranger's office and we hadn't planned it. So we're like, hey, do you, do you guys have a permit? Um, we might need to stay at the bottom. And the ranger's like, well, no, but we can put you in a horse camp. And we're like, horse camp it is. Let's do it. So <laughs> they found us. They found us a permit um, at a horse camp. And it felt like a regular campsite. It was still a really cool camp spot, camp spot. But yeah, that was that was fun. And then yeah, we came out of the canyon and rest of the AZT. You have some amazing mountains in there. It's superior uh, mountains. Awesome. The Mongolian rim is something that I still want to do. The full trail system over there. Where is that, or what is that? It's a trail system that Andy is that the name? I believe Andy developed. Um, I'm going to butcher the last name. I'm not positive on the last name, but it's a trail system kind of close by to the spears and it's, you're hugging the rim of, what is that mountain range called? Somebody else knows better than me. I might not be able to describe it as well. I know it's on my list. So yeah, that, that trail looks super cool as well. Okay. And, And, And so, so back at the AZT. Yeah. You're you're pushing out of the Grand Canyon National Park and basically going down towards the Mexican border, correct? Yeah, so you go towards the Mexican border and it's a lot of higher desert hiking until you hit the te- because you go through Flagstaff and kind of those mountains around Flagstaff and it's a lot of higher desert hiking until you hit mm, let's see kind of oracle area a little no once you get out of the superiors once you hit the town of superior itself which is this little small town you're somewhat out of the mountains but it's it's not a classic desert hiking experience that you picture of just the basin or something like that it is a very mountainous desert and the kind of rivers that you pass by they're beautiful you go through the gila river canyon and a lot of the wilderness out there is you feel like it's just it's just your hiking bubble because especially on the southbound there's not there weren't a lot of day hikers out there besides the canyon so it was a really really cool experience being on the AZT and kind of feeling like all this desert it's just grand expanses was like it was just us and our hiking crew it was a really really fun experience you've already done the CDT you've done the AZT is there any other longer distance hiking hikes through the desert and i guess you've done the pct so oh yes so the one that is a hopeful for this year is the grand enchantment trail Ah. and that actually yeah that parallels part of the azt for a little bit and then also goes to new mexico new mexico and i i love new mexico and so it that is one on the radar then the oregon desert trail i haven't looked too much into that one yet but that just sounds enticing because the desert is awesome. And so those two are kind of the desert hikes right now on my radar. There's probably more long distance desert hikes out there. I just haven't been looking into them yet. So somewhere along the way, the, I, mm-hmm. because you've done so much hiking, there's so many things we could talk about. And we're already <laughs> at like 90 minutes. So, <sighs> um, but uh, somewhere along the way, uh, you found a pair of shorts that you absolutely love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I found a pair of shorts. Absolutely loved them. So AT, PCT, CDT, kind of around there. I was using a lot of 
just random shorts. I would find a pair of shorts that would work for about a month or two. And I've had a lot of instances that I've been walking into towns and there's a lot of holes in a lot of inappropriate places along the shorts. <laughs> and it's not a good look when you're trying to, especially those three trails when you're trying to get a hitch, really not a good look. So I, I was kind of not, I wasn't really, I kind of stumbled into it. So I wasn't really looking for the perfect pair of shorts for my hiking style, but I ended up finding this little small company that produced a pair of shorts. And what kind of drew me to it was a lot of these other companies really try to sell you on their products they really try to push it has all these tiers it has all of this stuff and it gets to a point it's kind of ridiculous like how does a simple shirt or a pair of shorts have all this stuff so it wasn't trying to push me to do anything so i'm like yeah you know what i'll try it i gotta have shorts for hiking season so i tried it out and that pair of shorts lasted me all of 2019 and i actually just finished the gdt previously this year in them so it was now it's been 4,500 miles and literally there's not even a rip in any of the shorts and by finding these shorts I was like super thrilled about it and I got to talking to the owner of the company and about these shorts and he was actually get how it came up but he was saying I'm actually looking to eventually sell this company or retire and kind of the opportunity arose of man I would be super passionate to be able to help create a short that I don't have to replace every single month or somebody else doesn't have to replace every single month on trail. That is a material that being sustainable, durable, everything will cover that broad range of being with you for the journey instead of it just disintegrating. And <laughs> while I was on the trails in 2019, every time I would have service, I would kind of, we would play kind of phone tag and be like, Hey, you still interested um, about coming out, checking out the full company, all that stuff. And I was still interested. So we would keep, keep in contact. And by the time I finished the trails in 2019, I got, got home, went back to work and I was just, I became more and more passionate about it while I was on the trails that year. And this was the kind of direction my life had been taking for the past four years at that point. And while I enjoyed enjoy my work it wasn't being fully immersed in this community year round like it felt like there were two two sides of me of like it was the work ryan and then the trail constantine and it was it was like two sides that wasn't meshing fully and so he offered me to fly out and check out the company so i flew out to montana and while we initially were in the talks of buying the company it just we couldn't agree upon what that would look like. He still wanted to be a big part of it, even though he was retiring. And so we didn't agree. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't understand that, but we didn't agree upon the purchase of the company, but I didn't want to, I didn't want him to feel like I was wasting his time and was, wasting his resources. So trying to find a compromise from that situation, I offered to him, I'm like, would you feel comfortable if I bought the patterns to these shorts as well as to these pants and we haven't produced the pants yet but he said yeah that would be that would be amazing so we left happy and i was able to purchase the pattern to the shorts and the pants that had shown me that it was a fantastic product that i was really happy to be able to get and within the time i was out there with him i studied the full process of every single material and i've just kept it the same exact procedure and wanted to be able to produce a product that 
will withstand the miles that come at you. So is that its big selling point for you is that it's durable, like you got 4,000 miles out of this? That was a huge part for me. That is what brought me into the realm of wanting to talk with the owner of that company. And that is what brought me into the realm of being like, I could also try to produce this for the hiking community as well. And that, yeah, that was a huge, huge grab for me. And we're still a very, very small company. I mean, when I say small company, it's like, it's just me and my partner. So it's a very, very small company right now. And it's, I wanted to go to the point that hopefully be able to tie in more into the, into the outdoor community and be able to provide services and just become, like I said, my life was in two segments at that point. And now it feels like it's in one segment, like fully immersed within what I love and am very passionate about. Nice. So where can people find these shorts? So these shorts can be found at www.11skies.com. And guys is spelled S-K-Y-S. S-K-Y-S. Um, I've gotten a lot of, a lot of teasing for that, but <laughs> I thought <laughs> everybody's like, 11 skis, cool. I'm like, no, 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 it's 11 skies. So <laughs> I got a lot, but yes, it's www.11skies.com. And that's where you can find them right now. And the name actually grew from 11 National Scenic Trails. And it's the skies that provide us with this air that we walk through and kind of what's your sky? Like, what do you experience each time you're out on these trails? And that's kind of where the name was inspired from. Now these, and you have men's and women's versions of these shorts, right? So right now we created them for unisex. Um, So these shorts, we were product, we product tested with um, my partner as well. And there's been no problems that have occurred. And also as a company, if a problem does occur, you reach out to us and we will be able to fix that problem for you and make sure that you are treated the correct way. Copy that. You have a, a guarantee yeah. of sorts. A guarantee, yes. It is a guarantee because we don't want, no matter what, we don't want people to use a piece of gear that doesn't work for them. So if the piece of gear doesn't work for you, contact us, return it. We'll, we'll refund you. Aside from your shorts... What is your favorite Mm -hmm. piece of gear these days that you're hiking with? That's a tough question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Huh. Tent broke, so it's not the tent. (laughs) Um, Let's see. It would would probably be the pack. I mean, I love the pack. I use a Hyperlite pack, and that pack is just, granted, the first one I had, started to disintegrate but i also put it through a lot so you can't really talk about the quality there because it it lasted more than i thought it would so pack's an easy one to say though um i don't have much i mean i have a tent a sleeping bag a food bag and then i have the electronics kind of the battery pack it would i'm gonna go easy i'm gonna say pack okay and i guess the secondary question with that would be is there any piece of gear that you're using or that you bring with you that is maybe out of the norm? Like you found a little mom and pop or, or whatever manufacturer that's giving you this, that's this uh, great piece of gear. Mm, I used to carry, <laughs> I used to carry a lot of things. I used to carry <laughs> like a pair of boots, uh, but anyway, we yeah, like, like, like a pair of boots <laughs> that you couldn't even wear. But <laughs> so I used to carry a little bobblehead kind of 
Buddha that I found along the trail. Like it was just randomly along the trail. And I carried that for all three of the big trails for some reason. But mom and pop here, um, I really don't carry a lot out of the norm. The pocket on my front is I kind of just throw snacks in there. I'm kind of a basic hiker. I don't I don't really deviate a lot with my gear. No worries. You already mentioned that your trail name is Constantine. Yes. Where did that come from? It's not it's not a great story, but we we can dive into it. It's kind of so in Georgia, I guess the backstory to the name is a good story. So in Georgia I got to well, it's the first shelter outside of Georgia. I I arrived at Muskrat Creek Shelter and it had been pouring all day and it was just freezing, freezing cold. So I get there, set up my tent. There wasn't enough room in the shelter and go into the shelter to start eating. And I was shivering like my entire body was just racked with shivers. I couldn't get warm at all. So I was also carrying hot sauce duct tape to my pole at that time. So I made some ramen. Dumped some hot sauce in, and I, as soon as that first kind of bite hit my mouth, I stopped shivering. So people gave me the name Icy Hot for the first week. And then I was hiking with a buddy the next couple of days, and I gave him the trail name of Casper because he hadn't had a trail name yet. And he's like, dude, we got to find a better name for you. Icy Hot's too much of a mouthful. And then he's like, well, have you ever seen the movie Constantine? And I, I actually still haven't seen it to this day. <laughs> to this day. I keep telling myself I need to see it, but I still haven't seen it. So he starts describing the character and based around Keanu Reeves and he like mm-hmm. either fights angels and demons or he does something in that realm. And he's like, you remind me of that because at this time when I was getting into hiking too, every uphill I would go, I would just be cussing. And then every downhill I'd be praising everything I could find. So <laughs> he's like, you're, he's, he's like, yeah, you're kind of, like the like Constantine in the movie, like half good, half evil. I'm like, oh, all right, we'll take it. Got it. Keanu inspires you, or inspired. Keanu, yeah, uh, like the Matrix. Yeah, well, yeah, it's part of it. I mean, I didn't go out to the PCT wanting to use that trail name, but there were people from my year from the AT that knew me by that name, and then you know how it goes. They just start calling you by that, then everyone starts calling you by that, and. At that point, it's been ingrained, so Constantine it is. So just embrace it. It's been embraced. (laughs) (laughs) Before we get into the most challenging or or worst moment on trail, I want to do just a quick uh, kind of a speed round. And what I mean by that is you've hit so many trails, and we've kind of talked about each of them, but I would love to get sort of your one-sentence answer maybe about how you would summarize each of the trails. Cool. For you, I know a tough one here. Okay, I don't use met. I use too many words. All right, <laughs> <laughs> and and really, kind of what I, you know, just in terms of like your experience of the trails, how or maybe even how it how it affected you, how it changed you, as well. So you know, okay. you can you can decide how you wanna how you wanna reflect it. But we're going for one sentence. Yeah, let's let's keep it one sentence. Otherwise, you're going to be here for the next three years. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. So uh, the AT. Let's start at the beginning. Um, wet growth, Katahdin, change. Can I just do words, or does it have yeah, to be like a full like? No, that's okay. Perfect. PCT. Dry sand, rivers, snow. These are basic uh, kind of learn as you go. And then when you combine that with the OCT? 
yeah, learn as you go and not as thrilled as an ending. <laughs> <laughs> road walks, uh, road walks and beach walks. What did the CDT teach you about yourself? That, yeah, this was a life that I was, it wasn't just one or two years or three years. It was something that I wanted to continue to pursue. When you take the 2019 season, the Pinoti to the Pacific Northwest, Ice Age, AZT, like how do those trails, what were maybe a couple of the lessons you learned from those trails or how did the trails change you? So a big thing out of this year, out of that year that I hadn't touched on is it's a, I was leaving this until the last, I'm already past the sentence. I was leaving this until the last part of the best moments, but I met my current partner out there who's just as crazy about hiking as I am. And that kind of in my head was 2019. The trails were there and the trail always provides so much experience, but meeting a partner that's just as thrilled and crazy about these trails as I am, that was an amazing piece for me. And and you guys have basically gone on to do a lot of trails together. We met on the PNT and then we did the AZT together and then she didn't do the Natchez, but then we did the GDT, VIT, and the GDT and the VIT together. So 2019 was really about the trails bringing you to your partner or your partner to you. Well, so in the sense of the CDT of being, this is, when I finished the CDT being like, this is a life I'm passionate about. I'm moving forward within this life. It just seems, I don't even know a word for it. I mean, that 2019, the next year of, having committed that this is what my life is going to look like for as long as I find this, that I'm very passionate about this. And then 2019 meeting somebody that's just as thrilled and that is just as amazing. And it's just such a beautiful person that was on these trails. That is, I, I don't know how to describe it. I mean, it's, it's beyond a term lucky. I mean, it's just within that context. It, I'm, I'm at a loss for words. That's, that's very strange. As people have heard, I'm not usually at a loss for words. It's, <laughs> it's something that <laughs> it's something that just really hit very strongly for me. That after that decision, moving into 2019, that that something like that would arise. It's just the trail provides so much, and oh yeah, I, that's that's about it. I don't know. I don't know what else to say there. And now we get to 2020, and 2020. you've done four trails so far, maybe a fifth one on the way. Yes. What have the trails taught you this year? This, which has been a very trying year, but. Canadian hiking is hard. One sentence. (laughs) (laughs) One sentence. Difficult. Very difficult. With that in mind. And I, I, and it sounds like from what you were saying, a part of that is just that the trail systems are a little bit less developed than, those mm-hmm. in the States at this point. Mm-hmm, definitely. But does that seem to be changing? Yeah. So the GDT, I actually, I'm talking within the 28th. So hopefully I'll be able to help within the GDT and get a more consolidated permit system because that's a huge headache for the GDT. Because you're going through so much national park land that it fluctuates so much. And the permit system is just difficult right now and making that easier might prompt more people to come and choose this as a through hike and it's just a lot of awareness being built gdt has been in the concept for since the 1970s but it also it is a trail that is grounded in 
you're going to have a wilderness experience and you need to have the skills necessary to go and experience that. So it all right off the bat, it's going to filter out people that need to build those skills up before going to try it. So the GDT is always going to have that wilderness aspect to it, but it is also gaining more popularity as more and more hikers and the hiking community grows. So that one should be able to continue growing and the trail association is growing and everything is growing around that trail system. So that one should become easier to traverse and more information will continue to grow around that. The VIT Vancouver Island trail literally just got designated a few months ago. So that has a lot of potential, but a lot, a lot of work to be done to get to that growth part. At this point, it, it sort of needs the same thing that G- the GDT does, which is basically people yeah. hiking it, people discovering it, actually, almost more so. But Yeah, I mean, I, granted, I'm not the best person to go for information on Canadian long distance trails because really all I knew about was the GDT. So I had no concept there were other long distance trails in Canada besides the GDT. And when we finished it, looking through it, even on the top, 11 list or top 10 list it is not listed so like unless you're specifically looking for that trail you're not going to find it so that's a lot of what needs to be done first is the kind of the awareness around it needs to build so when people are looking for long distance trails in canada that will also be part of that as well as it just it needs it needs more hikers and hopefully he'll start to, to grow and the trail association are very they're very passionate about it and i can see why because it is it has you have coastline you have mountains you have inlets that you walk by you kind of get the full scope of it and it has a lot a lot of potential to become a really well-traveled trail we're talking about the the vancouver island trail right vancouver island trail yes okay perfect okay so we're gonna get to the story that you were alluding to earlier what was your worst or most challenging time on trail? So the worst moment, it wasn't while I was hiking. It was actually while I was at camp. So the IAT, the IAT trail, it is very hard. It's built for second hike. It's not built for through hikes, really. They're doing better about trying to build it for through hikes. But right now, the camping is very few and far between. So you might have a camp spot that's 10 miles in front of you, but then nothing until 50 or 60. So one day, I think I had done 38 and I wanted to camp in this town. Was it Jamesville? It was this town. It was this small town. I'm just going to forget the name. Town's not important. It was a small town I wanted to camp in and they were having a fair. So I couldn't camp in that town. So I pushed out about three, four miles outside and there was this old road that the connector trail was part of. And I found this little turnout on that road to pitch a tent and camp for the night because there was nowhere else to camp within that quarter. So I set up camp and about nine or 10 o'clock, um, a car comes and they pull up about five feet from my tent. Like if they step on the gas one more time, they're in my tent <laughs> and they shine their lights on and blast their radio for about 10 minutes. And then it all goes black and I hear the car door open and shut and they walk right outside my tent, not saying a word and then walk back to their car. And they do this for the next two to three hours. And it just, 
going through a lot of these areas, you start to you listen to your gut a lot. And usually I'm very, very talkative. So usually I'll pop my head out and say hi or say, hey, can, can I help you with something? Um, but it just felt very, very strange that the the person or people literally did this for multiple hours of walking towards my tent, walking away from it, walking towards my tent, walking away from it, and not saying a word the entire time. So it just felt very strange. And that was probably one of my scariest moments on trail. Because obviously they knew that you were there. Yes. They'd shone their lights on you. and It just... The when I talked to the IATA about it, they had said the town that I had passed through was a little bit rougher around the edges. So while it's not saying anything about that community or anything, it's just it could have been a weird instance. I could have also read into it more, but for me at that moment, it felt really, really, really weird, and it felt not safe. So. That was by far one of my scariest moments on trail. So you just stayed awake and listened to them doing their thing, ready yeah. for something, maybe? Well, I mean, I'm in a tent. You can't can't really be <laughs> can't be really too ready. I mean, I just laid there and really hoped they would leave. That's kind of mm-hmm. that's what I was hoping. So eventually, they did leave. Um, it was a couple hours after they first got there, and after they left, I just packed up and. Did some did some night hiking down the road and walked into the next day and just kept walking that day as well. So it was I didn't like it. Um, I might for me it just felt really off that somebody wouldn't even say hey, like even make yeah. any noise, but just kind of walk back and forth and be slamming their doors so much. Like if they wanted to get my attention, they could easily say something. It just it felt off to me, and that's what kind of threw me for a loop. Yeah. It was almost like they were purposely trying to scare you, maybe. Maybe. Um, And also when I talked to the IATA, they said that that town area, I think it was on the weekend I was there. And they said that on the weekend, a lot of the time, the surrounding area of where that connector road was, people like to go out there and party. So maybe I was in their party spot or they wanted me to leave their party spot. It, it would have just like one word would have made me feel comfortable, like high, even if it was like a mean high. I know how to kind of handle those situations and be able to talk, talk it through most of the time. So any word would have made it more comfortable. Just the silence around it was very uncomfortable. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. The silence mm-hmm. and not being able to see him. Yeah. And I didn't want to I didn't want to say anything because I didn't want any. I didn't want any of my words to provoke something that this person or people or that might have been going on in their head at that point. So I, I wanted, I wanted to say something, but I also had to stay silent because that felt like the safest part for me. So it was, it was just a weird, weird experience. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that we should? Um, anything that we haven't talked about that we should? I don't know. Um, the 2020 kind of we touched on those trails i wish we could have talked about the gdt more because that was that was awesome it is an amazing trail system you if you want to experience pure wilderness and just epic mountains the gdt is it for you so would love to talk on that more but i know i know we've been going for a while like the videos show you i tend to ramble quite a lot so (laughs) yeah i don't want to waste any more of of your time and yeah we were able to touch on a lot of stuff well, I guess 
circling back to the GDT specifically. Yeah. Like what what would you like people to know about it or or what what do you think ne- more needs to be said about it, I guess? Cuz now is the time. <laughs> okay. Um do your research. Like a lot of these trails AT, PCT you, you should plan for it a little more for the CDT. A lot of these smaller trails, you can do some planning around it and learn as you go. GDT, plan, 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 plan. I mean, there you are never going to have a consistent pace. Um, my partner and I have both done a lot of trails, and we, even on the low side, are like, okay, even with all this elevation change, we're going to do 25 pluses a day. You just never know what that day is going to bring, so you can never accurately assume how many miles you're going to do so just plan for safety and um be safe and start later in the season than earlier that is what also went into the realm of us doing smaller mile days we had a lot of very cold weather systems come in that we had to stop but gdt awesome experience plan a lot for it and enjoy the wilderness enjoy the uh i guess actually speaking of that did you have much or have you had much animal encounters um a lot of moose in colorado grizzlies a little bit above 10 never had an aggressive grizzly vit we had three mama bears black mama bears charge us um so not grizzlies not the black bears are usually not aggressive but Mm -hmm. these black bears had their cubs so we had three mama bears charge us all in the same day like out each hour like we we ran into one, got charged, ran into the next one the next hour, and it was just that type of day. It was a bear day, so that I wasn't a fan of that. To stop the charge or to get away, what what did you guys end up doing, or how did you avoid? So it was a lot of false charges. Um, we didn't see their cubs, and the trail was two of them were on the coastline, so we had to keep going down that coastline to get by them, and that's what they didn't want us getting closer to their cubs. So what we did is. Each time they false charged us, we would make a lot of noise, put the hands in the air. We both had the bear sprays in our hand in case we needed to use them. And it was always bluff charges. So they would charge at us for about 20 to 30 feet and then stop and then gradually walk closer to us. So we just kept trying to get better angles that didn't look like we were going towards their cubs. And we didn't want to we were close enough that we didn't want to turn our back to them, but in case it turned into a real charge. So we just tried to get an angle that would make the bear feel comfortable that, Hey, we know your cubs are right there. We're not going towards them. We're just trying to scoot down the side here. And yeah, so we would make a lot of noise and eventually they would realize, I don't know what clicked at what different point, but for two of them, it seemed like we hit this threshold that we were either parallel or a little past their cubs that were like in a tree and at that point they stopped trying to charge us and then the third one had only false charged us once and then ran into the bush so it was those other two ones that were more they did it multiple times being aware being being uh conscious and Mm -hmm. and having did you have the plan ahead of time or it's sort of on the fly when it was happening (laughs) it's hard to have a plan with big wildlife like you can have the necessary like knowledge of hey this is probably what you should do but we both thought with bears that it's so hard when you're talking about bears because it depends on what encounter you have with the bear like if you surprise a bear 
most of the time you better make a lot, a lot of noise. So it gets scared because surprising is where a lot of the attacks happen. But yeah, we, we kind of just, we didn't plan on making kind of guttural noises and just yelling at it, but that's what we did. And it seemed to work. It seemed to work. <laughs> yeah. Haven't, haven't ran into a bear yet that wants to get closer to that weird noise we emit. So that's going to keep being the plan for a while. <laughs> so where can people find you or where should people find you to see your videos about the trails that you've already done and also uh, keep up to speed on the trails for you in the future? Yeah, for sure. Um, so my YouTube channel, like I said, I fought social media for a while. So Instagram, I really don't have, but my YouTube channel is Hiking America and it's all one word. Somebody has a Hiking Space America. So Hiking America, all one word. And that's really a long, like super long videos. So sit down and be prepared <laughs> for that. But um, yeah, it's, it's long videos. You can go there or you can go to 11skies.com. Skies is spelled with a Y, S-K-Y-S. And there you can kind of stay up to date with what we're doing as a company, as well as what both of us are doing. Perfect. So... Last but certainly not least, uh, at least for this podcast today, um, what has been your best, besides for meeting your partner, what has been your best or most amazing experience on trail or of trail? Oh, took away the best one there. Um, I but know. Let's, let's, <laughs> let's see. The best moment on trail besides that. Whew. Uh, that's going to be a hard one to think about. Mm. Wow, this is great, great audio. <laughs> there's there's a lot of thoughts that are that are popping into my head. I, it would be so hard to narrow down a best moment. Um, let's, okay, so what's what's popping? What's popping up is finishing the GDT, um, getting to Cockwood Cabin, because this hike for us this year pushed us to a mental place that we both thought we had but you never know for sure until you hit that spot and it it really tested us um as hikers and then just as people as well and finishing that gdt it was it was quite unlike any other feeling i've had that feeling was something that you just felt it through every single part of your body that you were able to find the inner physical strength and inner just mental strength to push through some tough stuff and that was that was probably what's been popping up in my head most. You uh, you fell in love with the GDT. I did. I did fall in love with the GDT. It is. It's in our backyard. Backyard ish, ten miles, <laughs> ten hours. But <laughs> so it's it's in our backyard ish, and um, I'm hoping to become more involved and be part of this system that is just the GDT. It's a wilderness unlike any other you'll experience. The Canadian Rockies are on a scale of their own and not to dissuade the American Rockies. American Rockies are sweet. Canadian Rockies, just such an epic scale.
Show notes and links for Ryan's trails can be found on our website at hiking-through.com. A special thanks to Ryan for sharing his stories from the trails and Maya Wynn for the use of the song Try Again. On next week's episode, I'll be talking with Alina Drufolka, known on Instagram as Abstract Hikes, about her through hike of the AT, as well as her miles on the PCT and Israel National Trail, and, of course, her amazing hiker art. I hope that this conversation, these conversations, inspire you to get out there and have a few hiker trash moments of your own. I'll see you on the trail. <laughs>